0: Hello world! Hi there, this is my son Adam. Uh, for those of you who can, who can see, I uh, had a little bit of a family emergency and he wants the microphone, but we're gonna see if we can get this to work anyway. Um, I recorded an egghead I.O. lesson about git rebase once holding my son Adam. So, yeah, um, we can do this. <laughs> so today we're gonna be talking about uh, reactive programming in JavaScript. We have some experts on the subject here with us today we're really excited about. Um, But before we get into that, I wanna just give a shout out to our sponsors. So, Egghead.io is the show's premier sponsor and they have a huge library on bite-sized web uh, development training videos. Uh, You can check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and all kinds of things. Um, Then Frontend Masters is an expert-led workshop, uh, recorded workshop that uh, has courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on frontend topics. And TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers even notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context you need to actually fix the bugs. So check them out and start tracking uh, JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And WallabyJS is an intelligent and super fast test runner uh, for job- JavaScript that continuously runs your tests as you make changes. It reports code coverage right in your text editor, and uh, Immediately, like as you're changing the code, it's very cool. Uh, check them out at wallbjs.com. And Code Cove is code coverage done right, reduce technical debt, and t- uh, visualize test performance uh, with faster code review. Code Cove is highly integrated with GitHub and provides browser extensions that are totally awesome. Uh, learn more at codecove.io. Awesome. So, um, just a couple. Quick announcements before we get into our show. If you have questions for our guests during the show, you can um, tweet the hashtag JSAirQuestion and we'll try to get to those. Um, And then, as always, follow us on Twitter, Google+, and Facebook to keep up with the latest. Um, Remember also that this is a weekly show and so uh, next week we are, um, I should have looked at this. I I totally forgot to double check. We have a show next week and it will be at the same time and same place. Um, and if you check out JavaScript Air, you'll see it is the Internet of Things uh, with JavaScript, and we're gonna have some awesome guests there, so check us out next week. All right, I think that's it, so let's go ahead and get into our introductions. So uh, we'll start out first with our panelists. We have uh, Brian Lensdorf. What's up? And Dan Abramoff.
1: Hey there, hi hey there.
0: Uh, Kyle Simpson. Hello. And Pam Sully. Hi. And again, I'm your host, Kent C. Dodds. And then we have our awesome guests, um, Andre Stoltz. Hello, folks. That's me. And Ben Lash. Hey, everybody. And Matthew Potosaki. Private. <laughs> Did I say your name correctly? I practiced. Eh, close enough. <laughs> OK, you can correct me uh, here in a second. So um, why don't we get a quick introduction to each of our guests um, before we get into our subject. So Andre, why don't uh, you give us a second, to introduce yourself. Uh, so I basically,
2: hmm, yeah, I'm like i a JavaScript programmer for a while, and I first learned reactive programming through RxJava, so I've also done R- Android programming, and so that's how I got introduced to Rx, and then I started applying that to RxJS, and, been an addict to that since, well, probably two years, and I wrote this introduction to reactive programming. It's kind of this gist blog, and that's basically like in a nutshell.
0: Cool, thanks. Ben?
3: Uh, Let's see, Uh, my introduction to reactive programming was here at Netflix. Um, I'm a senior UI engineer at Netflix on the uh, Edge developer experience team, and I'm also the project lead for RxJS5.
0: Sweet, and we were just joined um, by another panelist really quick, um, Ihani Ikakuchu, I think I said your name right, (laughs) you can correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) Um, all right, so Matt, why don't we get an intro to you? So, I'm Matt,
4: Uh, let's see, I've been working on uh, reactive extensions in some form or fashion since about 2009. Uh, culminating in working on the reactive extensions for .NET, and then porting it over to to JavaScript. Uh, about two thousand ten, and we open sourced everything, thankfully. And in, in twenty twelve, and pretty much have been on point, uh, looking at reactive paradigms, uh, pretty much since the beginning. Uh, working on both the observable side of things, as well as the async enumerable or async iterable uh, side of things. So. Pretty much, for the past seven years, has been kind of my life, along with uh, IoT-related uh, things, as well as others.
0: Cool, IoT, maybe we should have had you on our uh, show for next week.
4: Yeah, so I, I, I actually gave a presentation last week on Tali, which is the uh, peer-to-peer mesh networking uh, that you can put on your phones, which basically runs Node on iOS and Android. To, to do uh, peer networking.
0: So. Oh, very cool. Awesome, um, so thank you all for introducing yourselves. Uh, Matt, as part of your intro, you mentioned uh, something about a paradigm, and I think that's a good way to kick off our discussion. We're talking about reactive programming, which is a, a programming paradigm. Could we, um, I, I'm gonna go try and put my son to bed, but if you guys could start out <laughs> chatting about um, what a reactive, pr- um, or, or what a programming paradigm is, and what is, uh, like how reactive programming fits into that.
4: Okay, well, I mean, I'll start off as, you know, to me, a paradigm is a, is a way of thinking uh, and, and a way of describing a certain set of features, as it were. Uh, to to me, that that boils down to a paradigm. Um, so, you know, you can think of, uh, of Interactive or uh, or imperative as a paradigm. You can think of object oriented programming as a paradigm. You can think of reactive programming as a paradigm. Uh, that to me just kind of sets you know it's it's practices, it's rules, it's uh, basically a whole framing for discussion around a particular topic. Uh, and what, what that means down to reactive programming is, you know, kind of fuzzy, as it were, because, you know, reactive simply, to me, means reacting to events or, or a particular stimulus of some sort. Uh, and, you know, certainly we've been doing that since the very beginning of JavaScript, you know, every to- uh, since we could do, uh, you know, a listen to an event, and so we could create those, those wacky mouse trails uh, back in the DHTML days. Uh, but some, some, something there was fundamentally missing in terms of of a way of describing things and a way of composing things that we just didn't have before. Uh, that that led us to where we are today because you know just listening to events isn't quite enough I, I think to uh, to fully describe what reactive is because I think it boils down to a few other things such as reacting to users uh, you know that you're giving them incremental input or incremental output as it were. You're reacting to load in some form or fashion you know whether it's debouncing, whether it's throttling, uh, some sort of, of uh, you know, back pressure you're, you're dealing with some sort of load. Uh, and reacting to failure, how exactly? If, for example, you're uh, listening to uh, listening to a stream of events, and suddenly uh, you get disconnected from uh, from your data source, what, what exactly happens? Is there a, a retry scenario? Is there a reconnect scenario? Is there a give up? And uh, those kinds of scenarios as well uh, that fall into so, what Matthew, I think. Matthew, let me, me, let me is.
5: You there. That's a lot. <laughs> so yeah,
4: also, it is. But
5: I kind of, you know, what I, but um, so if we were to give it as like a short version, and or really, what I more so want to ask is to ask the the rest of people on the show, uh, if there is there somewhere where you disagree with. Um. Mathematics characterization. I basically
2: started agreeing with you because you started saying that it's a way or uh, of programming or it's a style of programming. Uh, it's actually quite curious. Well, you, you've been working a lot with uh, Eric Meyer. You know that Eric once told me that it's not a paradigm. Well, referring to Rx, that it's not a paradigm. That no. he thinks of it the as. That R- Rx the
5: library or Rx yeah. reactive. Okay, so that Rx the library is not a paradigm.
2: Well, that's it's what Eric Meyer says, but like what I I, w- I would call it a paradigm, you know. Hmm. But I'm just curious. Do you know or do you remember uh, Matt? Why did he say that it's not a paradigm?
4: Uh, he was more concerned. He was more more interested in saying it was kind of a language or a dis- domain specific language for how we describe uh, reactive programming. You know, it's something that we saw was platform independent that we could easily uh, apply to, uh, to JavaScript, to .NET, to C++, to, to Python, to Ruby, yeah. etc that it was kind of agnostic language, as it were. For language, language across yeah. languages. Yes. Yeah.
3: yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, well, which
3: which you could boil down to a paradigm, short. Sure. Uh um, yeah, when I think of a paradigm I think of something that kind of takes over your application development like it's it's something that is everywhere and I think some people do use reactive programming in that way but it's certainly not um you don't have to like you can mix and match reactive programming and imperative programming uh for better or worse but
2: mm-hmm. yeah you you can definitely do that um but mm, but still like if you take the description of what you just said was a paradigm, like, you can compare that with a framework, you know, a framework takes over yeah. your whole uh, application and how to build stuff, it's basically what the framework did, uh, dictates, isn't it so, like, I don't know, it's really, I don't want to, I don't yeah, know if I want to go so deep. Product, it's,
5: it's really complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's funny. I think that it, it guides com- uh, composability. Like, if you're going to be functional the whole time, it'll help you compose. If you're going to be object oriented the whole time; mm. it'll help you plug everything together. So it's yep. kind of a subset of programming that helps you compose. Yep. Yeah, that's
4: pretty much it. I mean, there's there's nothing that we ever described when we when we created it that we're like this this never it was intended to become your entire paradigm. You can uh, you could use it where you need it. Uh, you could decide to use your, your whole application for you need uh, for for whatever you need but it the what it was really designed for at least for us uh, in initially internally, was more along a line of bridging to everything, so bridging to events, bridging to uh, your particular library, bridging to um to events to async to whatever. so it was building bridges for people to you know onboard themselves onto more of a reactive programming, but it was never.
1: That's int-
2: Probably why Eric Meyer called it like an API because it's an yep. interface between stuff. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. So it's a, it's a bridge layer. It's an a- API. It's everything. Yep.
6: Yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to posit something and see whether the guests would agree with this or not. But if I were to try to characterize what is or is not the paradigm here, to me the paradigm is slightly bigger than just reactive because reactive is kind of one quadrant of that four uh, quadrant thing. And I think maybe we could try to describe paradigm as understanding those four quadrants and what they mean to asynchronous programming. And reactive, then, is one part of that overall paradigm of understanding the difference between single versus multiple and push versus pull. That's the, the axes that are at play in that quadrant. Right, so. yeah. Actually, like, I you agree. Speak to I
2: we're, we're starting to go to the topic of what is reactive programming, and I, well, I do understand the, the definition of, you know, the, the quadrant there, the observable fits there, but I do think that reactive programming is much more wider than that, and it includes stuff like spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are really uh, reactive. They've always been, and uh, how can we have a definition that encompasses
3: that as well, you know? Right, and you've got, you've got reactive programming in the form of like Ember's computed properties, for example, which are, they notify down that something has changed, but they don't actually process all the changes until you pull, so it's it's just pushes a notification, then you have to pull to actually map values and, and compute properties and that sort of thing, so, but that's still, I mean, that's still reactive programming, it's just a different flavor of it. Sure, and and when you look at the quadrant, what, what you're really looking
4: at is, is kind of, you know, that promise being a single-value async and then observable being uh, the the other aspect of, of a push-based um, notification for multiple values. Uh, what you could also put in there, you know, things like async generators, you could put in async iterators. Whatever it is, I think it's... Uh, but for, for that particular... Uh, Particular thing there, at least it's push versus pull, single and uh, uh, single and and multiple uh, in that particular way that we usually talk about it. But if we talk about it strictly async and you know sync, then we've got to add in an async iterable and everything else.
6: Are, so you, are you are you um, sorry, Kent? Uh, just yeah, wanted that's to clarify what Matt was just saying. So, are you suggesting that reactive programming is more than just what most people think of, which is the observable? that includes these other sorts of patterns as well? And if so, can you explain, maybe just a very high level, what the differences are? Because you might, some of us may have an intuition about, a little bit of an intuition about what a, an observable is, but mm-hmm. async generators, for example, might be much more foreign.
4: Yeah, I, you know, to, to give you an idea of what reactive programming is, it you know, goes back to that whole thing of, of of being a language to describe dealing with users, dealing with load, dealing with, um, uh, you know, failure, etc. cetera. Well, uh, but, but when hmm. you boil it down to something else, you know, if you're boiling it down just to the observable interface, then that's, you know, pretty much what you have there, is uh, is a way for you, you can describe a consumer and a producer. Uh, the consumer being the observer and the producer uh, producer being the observable, and then you have this contract in between them, which is this, this subscription, as it were, and that subscription then you can use to compose further on down the chain. Now, async gener- uh, generators, you know, are a totally different thing in terms of how you can, uh, you know, next whenever you want to kind of thing, or, or yield, rather, whenever you want to. Uh, which is a fairly open paradigm as to how you would do it, because, you know, n- there are plenty of, of libraries out there using async generators, you know, Co uh, code being one of them, uh, gosh knows how many others, so I'm sure async, async, your, uh, your stuff uh, does it as well. So what we tried to do was just c- kind of break it down as to improving the existing subject observer pattern uh, and adapting it there for a single way of, of describing events, asynchronous uh, data, etc.
3: So I would say that uh, my, in my mind reactive programming is really any sort of event-driven programming in which uh, an event triggers an update to something and that update can be processed in individual steps. So if, if, you, can, if you can compose a bunch of individual steps and then have some event trigger to actually execute those individual steps, so say with Ember, which is completely different than observables, um, then that is more reactive programming. I think you can get into doing uh, reactive programming uh, similar, in a, in a similar fashion with like CSP, but that's so imperative that um, this, the steps kind of get munched together, and so I would say that's a little bit less reactive. It's still very event-driven, however, but I think the two biggest pieces are that comp- the composable steps and having an event kick off executing those composable steps. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: I, I, I'm thinking more on the lines of that, what Ben just said, but like, I'd like to abstract it a bit more, and I, I also see callbacks, like traditional callback API, as reactive. And that kind of... Uh, that's because it's the opposite of having um, remote changes, and it's basically like if you have... Uh, a class or a file A that's changing B so like it may remotely set something in B right so then that's like a typical imperative style but if you have the opposite where uh, uh, B is just registering that I'm interested in something that happens in A and I will change myself so B changes itself then I, I call that reactive because then A is sort of unaware that it needs to set something in B but it just broadcasts that, hey, here's something that anyone can do with, uh, it's an event or something. And you could do that with events uh, and callbacks. Uh,
6: so and by, by that definition, pub sub, the old school
1: keyword, that would be
6: reactive programming.
2: In
1: my opinion, yes. Well, that uh, that brings up a question. If everything is, like, all these things are reactive, you have, like, observables and generators and uh, 20 different flavors of async. Uh, Is there any good uh, real-life, like, um, subset that you feel will make your application more simple? Like, I know how generators can send stuff back and forth and you might need that power, but streams kind of just give this simple data flow through your app. And uh, just my question is, in real-world examples, uh, is there a a strict subset
3: that you would uh, suggest to stick to? Uh, I I mean, I wouldn't. I think that... uh say, you know, observables and Rx could cover 95% of use cases, CSP and transducers could cover 95% of use cases, but it, it's really, I mean, it, it. I think it goes down to what you're more comfortable with. I know I've had conversations with Kyle, and Kyle's more comfortable with uh, the more, the slightly more imperative style like the generators and async await and that sort of thing. Is that correct, Kyle? than, the, than um, say, like, observables, where there's a, there's very much, like, a domain-specific language to observables that you have to learn. So it's, like, you're learning JavaScript, and then you also have to learn what a flat map is and, you know, what a switch is and all these other, like, keywords, essentially, that you're adding in. So, I mean... What's best? I is I
5: I want to argue with you about that for a second. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, so because uh, I don't because I don't think those are observable things. I think those are list operations.
2: Yeah. And there's a like fu- functional collection API. Oh, well, it's it's oh. a monadic operation. Yes. Oh, there we wow. go. <laughs> I was
3: I was I was just only. Monad monad. Monad. So oh. Oh. Word, oh. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> how many minutes
5: are we in before the word monad was used? <laughs> I want to tweet about it. Um. No, but it's um, I because actually uh, I I might want to steal this to to talk about this idea. But in terms of the like, if everything gets reactive, is everything reactive? And actually, at the beginning, when Matt was talking about well, we do reactive things because we add event listeners. But like, you know, if you just add a click handler, is that reactive programming? And I think most people would say no. Uh, Kyle, what you have thoughts?
6: Um, so I I. Um just to kind of circle back a little bit to what Ben was just uh, asking or clarifying. So um, a lot of people that follow my thoughts on the subject know that I sort of try to preach a a middle-of-the-road perspective on mixing uh, different parts of these paradigms or patterns or whatever we call them together. Um, The part that bothers me about the Rx or the reactive API um, I think that's what we settled on calling it, it's an API. The part that bothers me about it is that it really swings the pendulum very far, to, uh, similar to things like jQuery, for example, where every single method in a method chain implies a, a loop that's happening over to, to repeat the thing over and over again. So it is asserted that that's very declarative because if I call flat map, I know it's gonna do that every single time a new value comes through. Um, I like the idea that those methods exist, so I don't have a problem with the fact that there's a common operation called flat map and we can have a vocabulary to describe that particular operation separate from other operations. The part that bothers me a little bit is when we swing so far to to that side that looking at a piece of code, it's not terribly obvious unless I think about implementation that there's actually a loop happening inside of each one. I've seen that same confusion play out for more than a decade now with jQuery, and that's the same concern that I have where we're kind of bringing a whole new school of people or a whole new generation of people into this reactive programming world. I don't want people to uh, uh, not think about what's actually happening. So if you were to take the operations out of the chaining API, it's the chaining API that I have a concern with, not the
3: operations. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't say that like flat map and Rx is is looping over it's, anything. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a looping.
5: Well, I think, like... I, uh, Kyle, let me take a guess at what you're you're saying. Is that um, because you create an observable, and so every time something new is pushed into the stream, that that operation then happens on that. So in that way, it is loopy. Is that what you're yeah doing
6: I, that? I, I didn't mean a literal while loop in some right okay yeah. right so, but
5: like but that you're like you you have implied that future work will be done and that might not necessarily be clear from the way it's written yeah well, and, and
6: certain types of operations are more than just a one-to-one transformation there are certain oh, types of yeah. operations that are stateful like for example distinct and things like that yeah again those operations are useful but it's not clear to me when I put a method in the middle of a chain, that it's obvious that there are more things than just that function got called again that's the part that kind of worries me about understandable
2: you know, well in in my opinion it's creating like a pipeline of stuff you know it's creating like if you actually think of pipes you know there you have this type of pipe and that type of pipe, and you know, when something comes in, an event literally comes in, then it's gonna be processed in a different way, so, and that is really data flow uh, without a space between data and flow, there's actually a term like that. Um, yeah. And it's it's useful, you know, it's like you you, you get a, a, like a, an actual, um, so w- when you read that chain that you don't like, you know, y- you get to see the pipeline of how does this event come in and where, how does it come out, you know, and how do these processing steps go, and each of these processing steps is just a single line of code. In my opinion, that's, like, genius. So, right. so
6: my, an- my analog to this is if we step out of the multi-value world back into the single-value world, still async, there is a comparison that can be made between a promise chain where we have all of the steps declared as callbacks to then methods in a chain, versus that same chain unwound into the async await slash generator yield pattern, where the statements are synchronous. My argument is that those two are isomorphic of each other in that they are both equally declarative. One of them has the overhead of understanding method calls and translating uh, error handling into an asynchronous paradigm, and one of them has the benefit of keeping it in a synchronous paradigm. But I I would maintain that both of those are equally declarative, in that you can clearly see the steps and that flow that you're talking about. So if we take that mindset and apply it to observables as a chain, versus what is the equivalent of that, it's that thing that I'm searching for, the equivalent uh, declarative set that doesn't rely upon the chain. That's really the yeah.
0: Like
2: I, I, totally get what you're saying when it comes to promises and async await. Like that's really clear. And I pro, I think I agree with you. I don't I like the then like stuff, and you know, it's kind of complicated. But um, when it comes to things like you know observables, I don't actually know how would you how would you do a flat map in a you know async awaity style that would be sort of
3: clear what you're doing there, you know? Like, does anyone have any idea? Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't know how you'd be able to accomplish the same thing there either. I think that uh, one thing that we're kind of skipping over about, whenever he was talking about, say, distinct or, you know, buffer or these other operators that you'd find in RxJS, one, one important distinction that you have when you've got these these chained operators is that each, anything that's that's actually doing anything with state that state is managed and contained within that one operation. Like, it, it's not, it's basically impossible to spread that state across multiple operations unless you're closing over some external state. Where, when you're dealing with, you know, your async awaits or your generators, um, it's very easy, actually, to transfer state from one step to the next, even though those things are happening asynchronously, because it's all kind of in one function body. And there's there's other there's other weird things that come with that too. Like if you put a generator on a class, for example, or or uh, call it just right, the this context gets carried throughout the lifetime of that that generator. And if you know this happens to have some huge array of things on it, then it could result in some sort of weird memory leak. So it's it's um, it's one of those things. Like I I tweeted the other day. Like if you think that you found the perfect async paradigm, you're probably dead wrong. <laughs> like there's there's no way. There's there's uh, there's definitely footguns and bugbears about every single async type I can think of, um, and you know I think Kyle is onto something about where some of the you know I, I think some of the, the confusion lies around RXJS is like you know the, here's the stateless thing, here's the stateless thing. Oh, this one here has some state, and but it's important to remember that if there is state in an operation, it's contained in that operation and it doesn't leak out, so. And also, you know,
2: if it's state that's managed for you and you don't need to worry about it, it's basically invisible state that, you know, it's harmless, you don't need to care about it, it's just working for you instead of you working for it, you know?
6: Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna totally disagree with that. You don't, okay. you don't get to not think about it and understand what you're doing. I think it's, my, my take is that it's dangerous to simply drop in a method because I saw it working on Stack Overflow and the end result gave me what I think I want and I'm not understanding how it works. So but you don't have map, to write your own Rx, but I hmm. do think having an intuition of each of those operators, yeah, so, which, you know, you know, things like things like RxMarbles.com is a great way to get, get yeah. there, but you have an intuition about each of those operators. Yeah, so
2: uh, flat map is actually map and flatten. There you go, you know, uh, I don't think it, with that description we need to go into how does it actually work with the state and the, and the variables inside, you know, it's really flat, I mean map and then flatten, so what you're doing is like you're mapping to something higher order, then you get this weird, crazy tree, and then you just flatten that, so that's flat map, I mean.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I to think to go that, uh, I'm sorry, for, go I was going to say, I think that, uh, you know, the... the the argument that you, you wouldn't want to use something if you don't have a solid understanding of, of what it's doing, I mean, uh, that's that could be made for people that don't quite understand async await. That could be made for people that don't quite understand, like, filter, map, and reduce on arrays or lodash or any number of things. So I, I think that, I mean, I really do view, like, I, I think that there's a lot of operators in, in Rx, and you're right. People shouldn't just be like, oh, that worked on Stack Overflow. I'm gonna use it. They should understand it, um, but, I mean, it, there's, it, it, again, it's a, it's a whole domain-specific language around managing asynchrony uh, in chains, and, and I think that it's important to understand the pieces of those languages before you use them, like you say, uh, but there's a learning curve to it, and that's, I mean, that's the, the downside, really.
1: I just wanted to throw in there that uh, I think people find it difficult to build these chains up, much like Um, It's a a lot like writing SQL, Um, you mentioned spreadsheets earlier, it's like a set theory based kind of like composable API that gives you a lot of abstraction for implementation underneath, so you shouldn't really care about the implementation underneath, but it's difficult. So do you have any, this is my last question, I'll leave other people, but does anybody have um, guidance for people struggling to write these long pipeline based chained expressions uh, because it's easier for them to just drop out and manipulate a value
2: or um, something like that. Mm, as like a quick guideline I could say that you should uh, write down what do you have as an input and write down what do you want as an output and you know usually what you have as an input is something like you know clicks or you know responses and those things happen over time so they're an observable, and then you need uh, you know that oh, you need to have like a stream of, let's say, you know, a text that's evolving over time. So that's a stream of strings, and then you know, okay, I need to get from here to there. That's like your basic. Uh, uh, that helps you to know a lot what you need to do, and then you need to discover the in- intermediate steps uh, between that. Then you get yeah. a pipeline.
4: No, you're you're absolutely right, and you know it's. It's kind of like going back to the old UML flow diagrams or, uh, or you know, as we, we came up with uh, these marble diagrams, the, this way of describing our, what we take from our input and how we uh, expect our output to look in some form or fashion. And what we also, you know, kind of encourage people to do is, is treat things like these uh, these operations each as a Lego block unto itself. Now, this Lego block that you can take and you could, you know, continue to build onto it, or you can use it to feed as input to others. Uh, if you, you if you treat it as you know small reusable components, that's great. If you're worried about you know 14, 15 operations in a row. Um, uh, you know, just composing that that gets a, it gets a lot trickier uh, when you think about doing it that way uh, that's why I like to like I said I like to whiteboard and I kind of like to you know to draw out what is my input and what is my expected output and what kind of Lego blocks do I need in order to uh, in order to uh, to move it
5: along
6: um so um one oh, go ahead. One thing.
5: Uh, so, was that the first mention of marbles in the show? Yeah, it was. I think, yeah. so. or maybe the second. So, yeah. So, so, um, just to clarify, because if it wasn't mentioned, I was totally going to steal it as my pick for the show. But um, Andre made this awesome uh, project, RX Marbles, that has some visuals to help people understand all these, um, you know, methods that are used in the RX libraries and, you know, other libraries like them. So it's so rxmarbles.com.
3: And, Andre actually carried that uh, idea over uh, to RX5 integration tests too. Um, I got to implement it, which I'm excited about because it was fun to implement. Yeah, it. you did um, it first. I wanted to do it, but you did it. <laughs> I stole it.
0: <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: it, it uh, basically you can go in and you can look at uh, unit tests for various operators and and uh, get a, a fairly solid idea visually of what those operators are doing. So. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, and yeah. So for who doesn't know, like uh, Ben and I, we maintain RxJS version five, and Matt maintains RxJS version four.
3: Matt is the creator of RxJS.
4: Yes, so
2: he's that's, he's that's, like super that, special.
4: <laughs> uh, well, it, you know, it's more along the lines of you know. Um, you know, there. You know, people are like, "Oh my God, there's a split." Not really. I mean, when you when you get down to it, the language is still relatively the same. And and you know, I don't see myself as a maintainer of X or Y version. I'm more along the line. Mm. Um, say that, you know, I've been involved in the very beginning. I intend to uh, uh, to stay involved, but right now, obviously, we have a lot of people that are using four and you know. Continue to want to use four yeah. for its its semantics that are different, and you know not every operator is there yet for five. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to continue to maintain uh, what we have as as the legacy. Um, so that I don't see as going away any time you know in in the relative near future, but I would certainly nudge people more towards uh towards five in 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 the future but there are certain things certain experiments that we did uh, that'll probably not go forward um you know whether the back pressure things that we did were right or wrong. Uh, whether people want that or not it, it's any number of those kinds of things and i've got a number of experiments that I, that i'm still doing in terms of uh, state management and so forth to make it look and feel and act well, like much more a natural part of react than it is right now so i've got a you know ton of things going there as well as working on you know helping on the observable spec and helping on Async iterator, which I think is a is a nice dual to observable in a way that you know the last thing you'd want to do is read a file contents and have it all shoved at you at at uh, at full speed. It, the idea that you can pull incrementally, uh, asynchronously is is a very big deal.
6: So um, I wanted to um, bef- I think we'd be remiss as a show if we didn't uh, <laughs> we're kind of doing it backwards, but we should give I think. A very simple conceptual, almost metaphorical foundation for what an observable is, since that really is kind of the meat of reactive programming. Wrapping your brain around it, so it's not only an API with methods and operators, which we kind of describe and and thinking about that as a <clears throat> as a pipe and plumbing, where you know the the different uh, elbow joints in the pipe or the di- these different operators. That's one way, one way of thinking about it. I'm also um, it's very common to be described as a spreadsheet, and I think Andre kind of briefly mentioned that earlier, so I'd like somebody to yeah. explain the spreadsheet actually, okay. before. Um, uh, so, so I think we need to do that. I, yeah. I personally uh, wrap all of this up, and I know this is going to sound silly, but I wrap all of this up like the Willy Wonka candy uh, machine. If anybody remembers from Willy Wonka, we're like, a whole bunch of stuff happens, so one thing comes in, a whole bunch of stuff happens, and on the other side, something comes out. That's yeah. kind of what I think of it at a very high level, but we should yeah. explain those lower level conceptuals. Yeah. So you, should, you
3: should really update the Wikipedia article for Monad with that ex- with that exact explanation. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, let me explain this uh, spreadsheet thing. When I said that, you know, there's A and B and stuff, um, in imperative programming and the classical type, you know, if... A- A is a module or file that changes B, then A has inside itself that definition saying I will change B. Now if you look at spreadsheets, if you have a formula B1, I mean if you have a cell cell B1 with a formula and you have a cell A1, then the formula is defined in B1 and it says, you know, let's say B1 equals A1 times 10. Uh, so the definition of that dependency happens in cell B1, while uh, A1, if you look at it, you just see a number there, and you're like, "So what?" It doesn't look like you know this is changing anything else. So that's why uh, spreadsheets, you know, uh, when A changes, B will change automatically. But that dependency was defined in B, so B is sort of owning that that dependency of how is change propagated. Whereas with imperative programming, you, you would have to define when this cell uh, A changes, I have to go and change B as well. And B would be like passively waiting there, you know?
6: Is it, fair to say, is it fair to say then that one of the characteristics of this reactive paradigm or way of thinking or whatever we call it is that it's a, it's a uh, declarative way of separating producer from consumer? and deciding that the consumer is uh, this set of steps and the producer is this set of steps and the relationship between them is like the relationship between those two cells.
2: Yeah, so the relationship is defined uh, in the consumer, you could say. The relationship of change, especially. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it decouples the, the producers from the consumers in a way. So, if you were to look at like, if you were to see some imperative code, that was to say, you just found a random line of code and it was like var C equals A plus B. You could assume that A and B were updated at some point above there because some event was triggered and A and B had to be updated. Either A or B had to be updated. Uh, If you were to have an observable of A and an observable of B, you could then create C by having uh, like a scan over those things and and adding them together. And the, the interesting part about that is now you no longer, like C no longer cares what updated A or B. It's, it's been decoupled from, from that. It only cares that it has a stream of A and a stream of B. Um, so in, in that regard, reactive programming is kind of isolating each one of those steps. So at any point, you could go and say, well, my stream of A is now coming from a web socket, or it's coming from mouse movements, and uh, you can just change it out uh, up above. <clears throat> Yeah, uh,
4: I mean, if you go back to the original subject observer pattern, it's not much different than, say, the DOM event—you know, DOM level three events, uh, where you where you have add event listener and remove event listener. The problem is, is that the the producer suddenly has to know about all of its uh, all of its uh, observers, which definitely is not the case with uh, with observables in the way that we've done it. Um, <clears throat> and and so much so that they're nicely decoupled and so forth. That kind of that contract between the two is that subscription uh, that we have uh, that kind of ties them together. Uh, that's that's really one of the key differentiations uh, that we, we came up
1: with.
2: Yeah. So um, I was kind of excited as well to explain Observable. It's always this, this exciting thing. But anyway, um, it's kind of like. Uh, a problem is that people think that subscribe is like ad event listener, and it 's really not because, as Matt just said, you know it doesn 't have a list of observers, so subscribe is more like invoke or call, where basically you give a set of three callbacks, next error and complete, and you say, "Hey, give me a bunch of values happening over time and deliver them on this uh, on these three callbacks." and then the subscription represents that execution happening over time. So if you say again, subscribe, then you're basically saying, hey, give me more values again on the, those three callbacks. So it's like that's uh, how people get, uh, you know, confused a lot with cold and hot. It starts with knowing that a subscribe is basically an invoke. It's not like an ad event, listener.
3: So one of the one of the ways I've been explaining observables to people so people don't get confused about uh, you know, hot or cold, or whether or not there's a list of observers underneath. An observable really is nothing more than a function that takes an observer and then returns some cancellation semantic. Like it's it's it. So anything that could happen inside the bottom body of a function that you gave an observer to uh, could happen in, in an observable. Yeah. So maybe it is, you know, subscribing to a subject inside that does keep a a list of yeah. observers. Oh, or yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, the idea is you. Tie, you call a function with an observer, and then you tie that observer in some way to some producer, yeah. and push values out through that observer. I would I would describe instead of cancellation, I would describe
4: it more as the as the creation and tear down semantics. You know, the creation. You know, if, if we were to to liken it to the uh, add event listener, the creation would be the add event listener. The the observing would be that handler and then the uh, then the teardown semantics would be the remove event listener so kind of a, you have a whole life cycle you have this the creation the observing and
3: the unsubscription as it were right right but the subscribe behaves like a like a function cuz it's a function
2: yeah i mean the the most raw version of an observable would be uh, basically a callback that can be called multiple times uh, but you have some kind of cancellation mechanism there if you want to cancel that thing, kind of. Yeah. Did yeah. that just make it worse? Or? <laughs> no, no, no.
4: It, it, I mean, cancellation is fine to say yeah. it that way, but I, I, I'm, I'm more along the lines of say, you know, uh, you know, build up and tear down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because cancellation is such a red herring that means so many things to different people, you know. Yeah. Versus the kill it with fire versus uh, I don't care about this result. Yeah. Let's stop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so that's why I say teardown is, is a lot more semantically pleasing, at least.
2: Yeah, or, or start and stop. Yep, start and stop, yep.
0: Cool. Wow. I'm going to have to listen to this uh, another two or three times to okay. really have everything sink in, I think. Um, but it, <clears throat> the conversation's been really awesome. Um, we do have several questions on Twitter that I'd like to get to. Um, but uh, is there anything else in like particular before we get to questions and tips and picks that anybody else wants to really quickly talk about?
4: Oh, by the way, uh, we just open sourced our, uh, our, uh, our con- contribution of, of bringing uh, React uh, native to Windows, so yay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow! Congratulations, Microsoft. Very thank cool. Thank you. Thank you. We should put that in links um, for the show notes. Cool. Well, uh, okay, let's get yeah. into uh, the Q and A from Twitter. So I won't be able to get all of these. Sorry, um, but uh, I'll get most of them. Um, I'm going to say your name wrong again. Um, it's Hyun Engels. Yeah, that's probably wrong. I keep saying it wrong. Um, I know about CycleJS to use RP on the front end, but what about back end? What good tools exist? Anything Express-like for um, this kind of uh, environment?
2: Mm, I'll defer that one to Ben. <laughs> to me.
3: <laughs> um, I, I believe I've seen RxExpress uh, implemented. I would uh, <laughs> I'd go look under Paul Taylor's um, GitHub profile, he's probably got something under there. Uh, I have to say that, you know, at it, it Netflix, most of what we do with reactive programming in the back end is generally RxJava related. Um, I think that there is some RxJS in some of our node services, but uh, I don't think that there's anything where what I assume that the asker is asking for, like, you know, give me a stream of requests and I'll filter that out Myself, uh, I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Um, it would not be hard to roll your own, but I, I don't know of any offhand that are very popular. I would I would definitely look at anything
4: on uh, on uh, npm that's directly uh, linked to uh, uh, to rx that way. I mean, there are a ton of things like uh, there's rx router, there's rx middle. Where I've seen so many of these, uh, Gleb uh, Bamutov uh, actually has a pretty good uh, blog yeah. post about bringing uh, the uh, bringing, uh RX to the server because what you're dealing with is you're dealing with rate limiting, you're dealing with uh, all these things that I talked about earlier with which is you know reacting to load, reacting to to failure, etc. Uh, he covers perfectly in that blog post, and so there are a number of of other things like you know people have Redis and other uh, database wrappers as well. Uh, so basically you can treat all of their inputs and outputs as observables. Uh, N one uh, that's out there that actually has their uh, their queries uh, are observable. So they literally say observable with some string, and suddenly that becomes kind of a two-way listener for... Uh, for going back and forth in terms of data updates and so forth, there are just so, so many ways that you can use Node and and Rx together.
0: Awesome, Um, so like I said, we're not gonna get to all these but I think we'll get one more uh, Twitter question from Vincent O, and he says, one of the pain points of Rx and reactive programming is debugging, do you see better debugging tools arriving? And he also says, PS, go CycleJS. (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, better debugging tools, there is, I bring this up every time someone mentions it, but there's yeah, a... Um, please a, build up, please. A, yeah, I know. There's a backburnered project on my team here at Netflix, which is meant for debugging RxJava, however, uh, the structures are so similar that the idea is it actually logs out what's happening inside of your observable chain, and then we're gonna try to visualize that, and provide that in, in some sort of way where you can uh, click on it and go to specific lines of code or just something so it, it crosses the async boundaries and still links um, those things together. So I know that, that there's plans for one, but I can't yeah. tell you when well, it's going to be. Uh, somebody else we too. certainly have
4: the, the long stack trace support in, in at least four and the fact that you could basically... Uh, then cut out all of the RX specific code and then go back to where in user land it happened to have gone wrong. Um, there's also been like RX visualization, or Rx, I think it's called RX visualization, yeah, where you basically one thing. Uh, where you paste in some code and it'll literally on the fly just create a marble diagram for exactly what it's trying to do. Um, so all of those kinds of things, in addition to adding do and, and things like that. Uh, do uh, to be able to basically, you know, you know, intercept uh, at each individual point. I think is very useful. Um, yeah, you know, can we easily
3: collapse a stack? Probably, and we'll get there. So cool. maybe it'll be a matter of of uh, taking that constantly punted uh, Rx debugger project, like the notes from Netflix, and actually. Like pushing it to open source and hoping for con- contribution, so that that might uh, that might push it through a little faster.
1: Yeah,
4: yeah,
3: should do that. Yeah, especially
4: as, you know as as Angular two comes out, there you know pe- that's probably going to be one of the number yes. one features uh, that yes. people are going to want.
0: Very cool. Um, all right. I am sad that we didn't get to the rest of these questions. So if you all could go to Twitter and just look at the hashtag JSR question. Um, that would be great, especially Ken Wheeler's. I think his
3: is really important. Um. You know, uh, I'm I'm sad that Dan Abramoff didn't ask me the difference between RxJS and and Redux. Like <laughs> 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 every every public appearance I've ever made, like somebody asked me that question. Scam, scam. scam. Yeah, one right. one. Th- just so everyone knows, one has way less waterfall. That's the difference. Wow, he's got less ducks. All right, okay, Um, great.
0: (laughs) So let's go ahead and we'll get to our tips and picks. I did a poll recently um, and asked if people want to keep having us do the tips and picks, and overwhelmingly people love tips and picks, so this is great. Um, We'll go ahead and start with the panelists, then I'll go and then we'll have our guests go. Uh, So Brian, why don't we have you go first?
1: Uh, sure, um, (laughs) let me just look at them. (laughs) Uh, So real quick, like, um, I linked to the Egghead series on RxJS. There's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, I also linked to Highland and Most, uh, two libraries that you might want to check out if you're doing streams. Uh, And then I said check out the favor the laziness if you can. Uh, Try not to cheat while you're building up expressions. These are my tips. And uh, normalization helps composability. So try not to mix all the different types of <laughs> reactive things together, because you won't be able to compose them very well. Uh, and I just also linked to a tweet storm that was about LambdaConf, because oh my gosh, that is a oh massive failure. And not all functional programmers are racist. <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> all right, moving on.
0: Thanks, thanks for calling that out. All right, um, Dan, why don't we have you go next?
7: So um, I have two uh, links today um, to PICS. Uh, the first peak is a library called Mobax. Uh, so this is actually kind of relevant to today's topic because it's a reactive library, but not reactive in the sense uh, of like observables, but reactive in the sense of spreadsheet like computer properties. And uh, it can be used as a data layer for React or other apps. And it's like crazy fast because it knows exactly what you depend on. So if you have some state, your component depends on it. Uh, if you have like a giant array and only one item changes, it's going to re-render just that item. So it's really cool. And some people like it more than Redux because it kind of, you don't have to think as much about structuring your state in an optimal way. <clears throat> Uh, So MobX is my pick, uh, and my second pick is uh, just a link uh, with uh, pull requests I sent uh, to as part of comparison between MobX and Redux performance. So in Redux, it really matters how you structure your state to get optimal performance, and I'm linking to some pull requests that show how normalization separating uh, the IDs from entities in your state can give you much better performance, like 10-time improvements, so check it out.
0: Oh, yeah, that, I'll probably check that out. Sweet. Um, Kyle.
6: Um, so to piggyback off of a very quick mention that Ben uh, threw in earlier, uh, some people that follow me know that I have a library called Asynquence and I have a reduction conceptual uh, adaptation of reactive programming in my library, and it's called Reactive Sequences. So if anybody's looking for another... Uh, perspective on it, or a way to play around with it, you can check that out, and then um, it was kind of mentioned, and I wish we'd talked more about like the learning side of it, because there's a ton of new stuff we just threw at our listeners, and the learning part is really difficult. Uh, there's several great resources that have already been mentioned, like the RX marbles and so forth, but I would just throw out a mention of another resource that I put out, so it's, um, and it's not the first time I've even mentioned on this podcast before, but um, uh, kind of like TodoMVC uh, compares coding patterns for, you know, a to-do app, I created a, a little application to create code, a comparison, side-by-side comparison of coding for some asynchronous tasks, and uh, that is called a tale of three lists. Uh, that's up on a GitHub repo, and I uh, implemented the code seven different times using seven different variations from callbacks all the way up through Reactive and even CSP and stuff like that. So, uh, I would love to have more contributions um, with other people com- chiming in and either improving or, or whatever. But I, I think it's a place where you can kind of start looking at a code base and understanding the relative pros and cons of promises versus observables versus other things. So,
4: so how do you feel about con-
6: cancellation?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. That's its own podcast altogether.
2: Let's cancel that question. <laughs>
3: I well, think that's you should fun, get people that, drinking before that podcast too, just so they really tell you. Uh, how that's the right.
0: fun part of uh, having this be a live show—is we can't cancel that uh, comment. So, <laughs> cool. Uh, Pam, you're next. Am I the only one who can't hear Pam? And I cannot Sad. hear her. Sad. I'll go next, and then we'll try again, Pam. Uh, So, for my tip, if you're feeling overwhelmed, make a to-do list and focus on one task at a time. That's a valuable skill. Um, I also pick my son, Adam, um, because he's great. (laughs) And he's causing some trouble for me now. Um, uh, Aphrodite is this uh, open source library that's mantra is, it's inline styles, but they work, and it's really good. Um, autocomplete emojis, this is a package for um, Adam that is awesome. And um, I have a link to some stuff that I use for my Egghead.io uh, lessons, uh, recording those, so check those out. Pam, can we hear you now?
5: Uh, I don't know, can you? Yes, yes. yes. Cool. Um, okay, so I'm picking something that we mentioned, we alluded to in the podcast, but we I don't think we explained it, uh, and so I'm picking Fantasyland. Um, as uh, my pick, since it, what, there's, there, if you don't see the video, there's a facepalm going on, I think. Um, <laughs> but um, I I actually found it really useful. If you are interested in these things like monoids and monads and stuff like that, and you want like somewhere where it explains it, um, this is a place for that. And the, the story behind Fantasyland is funny, is because um, the Brian McKenna uh, is the owner of this, and... It was, uh, he said, I want to do this kind of, you know, algebraic uh, data types in JavaScript. And someone said, you're living in a fantasy land, Brian. And so he wrote Fantasyland. Um, and so that is how Fantasyland exists. And I think it's a really good resource for learning those algebraic data types.
3: Yeah. The, the thread that started it is pretty good. It's, um, yeah, it's you, epic. If you it,
5: know where it yeah. is on the Internet, I don't think I've actually seen uh,
4: it. It's in the promises. Uh, it was on part of the promises yeah, uh, specification.
5: Right. If
4: anyone digs it up, definitely drop it in the link. Yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's on the
0: that Promises Den- A+. Repair.
4: Yeah, it was, it was complaining about denables are not monadic. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yikes. I'll stay away from that conversation. No, just kidding. I'm sure it's very... <laughs> cool. Um, Andre, why don't we have your, you go
2: next? Okay, um, I have two links or picks and one of them is cycleconf.com. Next week we're going to have the first... Well, it's not really like a conference scale. It's more like a meetup, but we're and uh, so I would recommend that people follow the hashtag PsychoConf that we're going to use because I'm going to release uh, this surprise, and and Ben is the only one that knows the surprise, but it's a it's a surprise that would be highly relevant for this podcast, and I don't know, let's see, but it I'm I'm quite excited about the surprise. <laughs> Then the second link uh, I would like to mention most, which is a library called Monadic Streams. It's, it's like not many people know about it, but it has an API that really looks like RxJS. It's kind of like, you know, an alternative to RxJS, and it has, like, ridiculous performance. I mean, I don't understand, really, like... Uh, if, if Rx uh, for... Runs like at one speed, then RX5 runs at five speed. Most runs at three hundred speed. So, I, yeah, it's worth taking a look. Um, that's my part. Yeah.
0: Wow, very cool, uh, Ben.
3: Yep. Uh, Brian Cavalier, the guy that writes the most, is is a really good guy too. Um, so, I would recommend if if people are interested in learning more about RXJS5 in particular, it's a good idea to go look at those unit tests. Uh, like I was mentioning earlier, they're in the repository under the specs folder. It's also a good idea to go read the docs on how to write unit tests because it explains a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of what you're looking at with those marble diagrams, but once you get it down, it it becomes very visually apparent uh, what what each operator should be doing in each scenario. So, and it's it, it's pretty exhaustive too. There's more than 2200 tests, so um, there's a lot to look at and see how things behave um, so that's that's a big thing also I, I want to point out that Dan Abramoff is clearly you know, I want I want to just shout out like you want to go to whatever restaurant he's in because it's very reasonably priced <laughs> um, if you look behind him it's like 250 for anything Dan that's that's British
7: counts, pounds. so
5: that's like eighteen dollars. <laughs> Um, you know, approximately.
3: Don't don't ruin my dreams. I was hoping <laughs> there was, like, a Redux food truck somewhere. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. I'm still going to put that as one of your picks. <laughs> All right, and uh, Matthew, you are our last one.
4: All right, so uh, obviously we did the, the React for UWP, yay, uh, <clears throat> as well as we released the F8 app. Along with that, so, you know, it's still got so, so, a ways to go in terms of the CLI work and so forth. Uh, other stuff, so uh, like I said probably earlier, check that out. Check that out. and you can uh, put, uh, talk to your peers, uh, talk to your friends over iOS and Android, uh, and no cell phone, uh, no cell phone or Wi-Fi uh, access needed. Lastly, iXJS, as we're finally getting off the ground again, uh, the interactive extensions for JavaScript, which is more along the lines of doing what Lodash does, but also, uh, but also adding async iterable, which is a uh, upcoming standard, and, and I'm trying to, to work on that as well um, to see how we can uh, uh, work on additional uh, async paradigms.
0: Cool, thank you for that. Awesome, um, and apologies for the weird audio stuff. Um, okay, so let's just wrap up this show really quick. Um, so, bef- <clears throat> yeah, just want to give a shout out to our silver sponsors, O'Reilly FluentConf, Conf, Auth0, Trading Technologies, and SparkPost. Check them all out. Um, You can get links to them on our website, javascriptair.com. Also, we sent our first newsletter this last Monday, um, and the newsletter is uh, show notes, as well as a couple behind the scenes things, and um, yeah, some highlights from the show. So go to jsair.io slash email, and you can sign up for our email uh, news, or our weekly newsletter about the show notes. Um, If you have suggestions for us for the show, go to suggest.javascriptair.com and if you have feedback for, uh, and and that's suggestions like on guests and topics that we should uh, cover in the future. If you have feedback about the show, um, suggestions in that vein, then go to feedback.javascriptair.com. And then remember next week, our show is Internet of Things with JavaScript, uh, same time, same place. And as always, check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. And with that, I just want to say thank you everyone for coming. I feel like this was a great show, good introduction to people, um, and a little bit of a deep dive too. So, thank you. See ya.